your purposes for your glory. The New Testament reading, the text of the sermon is in Matthew, the first book, the first page, the first chapter, the first words of the New Testament. It's on page 895 in the Bibles that are available to you. And during these two weeks, we will be looking at the first chapter of Matthew. Today we'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Chapter 1, 1 to 17. You will be helped if you have a Bible in front of you of some sort, a physical Bible or a a device. So we're in Matthew, chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. Hear the word of the Lord. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathon, and Mathon the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, fourteen generations. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts Be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. A few years back, my mom started working on our family genealogies. And this uh, represents, this notebook represents one of the lines. This is the Negley genealogy. But she also has books like this for the, the Trotters and the Dillons and the Martins and the Gettings and the Ulrichs and the, um, let's see, Wests and I don't know how many other lines of the family. Um, this uh, is fascinating stuff to us, but it's probably not fascinating to many other people. And so I'm not going to read from it and show you all these pictures of my great-great ancestors uh, today. Um, But genealogies are kind of hard to get through, aren't they? Unless they happen to be yours. Uh, Why, then, do we have in the Bible so many genealogies? 
we have in the Old Testament, and I'm actually in my Old Testament reading, going through Chronicles right now, and I'm going through genealogy after genealogy after genealogy. And then why would Matthew start his account of Jesus with a genealogy? And why would Luke, in chapter 4, include a a genealogy if it's not the, the most gripping type of literature? But if we think about what a genealogy is and what a genealogy does, it traces family lines. And what is the delight we have in genealogical research? The delight is when we find a connection, a connection with somebody. And everybody knows what that kind of connection is. We do this all the time in life. When we meet somebody and we find out that he's from Toledo as well, or he went to Fort Lauderdale High as well, or his grandmother is from Boston as well, there's some sort of a connection. And especially if we have some sort of connection with a last name or a middle name, or there's some sort of family connection, we're looking to connect with each other. And that's what genealogies help us do. They help us to connect. And that's the reason why Matthew began with a genealogy. Now, there are four Gospels. Gospels are accounts of the life of Christ, and they all begin in a different way. Matthew begins and continues throughout his Gospel with an emphasis on the Jewish people. He had a Jewish audience in mind. And so in order to connect Jesus with a Jewish audience, what would be an immediate way to do that? And the answer is... A genealogy to show how he connects with them. But Matthew, interestingly, although his focus was on the Jewish people, he also included some interesting little details that jump out when we're studying this that connects Jesus not only with the Jews, but connects Jesus with all of us. The opening line, translated here as the book of the genealogy. If you look at this in the original, it says simply this, the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis of Jesus Christ. Now, to any Jew, that would jump right off the page. What's the first book of the Old Testament called? It's called Genesis. And so what is Matthew doing? He's saying, he's signaling that this is a new beginning, and he's tying it in with all of the history of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament begins with the book of Genesis, the New Testament begins with... A new book of Genesis, a new book of beginnings. And then he calls Jesus, right off the bat, he says the book of the genealogy or the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ. He calls him Christ right off the bat. Now, we are used to hearing Jesus Christ, and we probably, like I might have done, grew up thinking that was his second name. But actually, Christ is not a name, but a title, and it's a Greek word that translates a Hebrew word, and the Hebrew anglicized version is Messiah. So what is Christ? Christ is Messiah. What is Messiah? Messiah is anointed one. Anointed one. And if you go back in the Old Testament, you find that there were various officers that were anointed. Anointed with oil to set them apart for their office. The kings were anointed. The uh, the priests were anointed. And at least in one case, a prophet was anointed. And those were the three offices of the Old Testament. These were the anointed ones. These were the messiahs of the Old Testament. These were the ones whom God had set apart in order to be uh, do a, a special task for Him. And they had His sign on them with the anointing with oil. But in addition to those different offices, there was in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, an expectation of 
the Messiah. Not just these numerous Messiahs, but the Messiah who would be coming. The Anointed One who was expected to come in the future. And he would sum up and bring together all three of these offices. Prophet, priest, and king. One who declares God's word to us. One who reigns over us and protects us. And one who intercedes and offers sacrifice for us. That in that Messiah, that one Christ, that one chosen one, that one appointed one, all of these offices would come together and we would have one person who could do what we need before God. And so what's Matthew's purpose? Matthew's purpose, right off the bat, is to connect Jesus, who was born in in Bethlehem, this Jesus of, of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, with the Messiah of the Old Testament. That's his purpose all throughout the Scripture, or all throughout his book. And you will find what he does all throughout his book. He says, this happened in order to fulfill what was written by, and then he quotes the Old Testament. He does that more than anybody, because what's he doing? He's, he's trying to argue. He's saying, Jewish people, listen, this is the Messiah, this is the, the chosen one, this is the anointed one that you've been expecting for all these generations. And then, he calls him not only the Christ, he calls him the son of David and the son of Abraham. Now, he could have chosen a number of names, as we'll see, there are many names here. And don't worry, we're not going to go through all the names with the detail I'm dealing with this first verse. But he calls them the, him the son of David and the son of Abraham. Now, by connecting him with David, he connects him with the royal line. David was the king, the second king of Israel, and he was God's chosen king, the anointed one, the, the, the Christ, the, the Messiah, the chosen one for, 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 uh, to reign over God's people. So he connects him with the, the, the Davidic line, David's line, but he also connects him farther back with Abraham. Who was Abraham? Abraham was the first one whom God chose out of the nations to form his people in the first place. Now, here is the first hint. Here is the first hint that Matthew is not only thinking about the Jews. Because up to this point, is very, very Jewish. It's the book of Genesis of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. All connection with the Jews. And they would have connected with that immediately. But by mentioning Abraham, he hints at something that he's going to do throughout this chapter and throughout the book. And he hints at the inclusion of other people, not just the Jewish people. In what way? Well, in order to see, we need to understand and remember what God called Abraham to be and to do. In Genesis chapter 12, going back to that first book of beginnings, it's on page 9 in the Bibles that are available to you, we have the call of Abraham. And it says this, Genesis 12, 1-3, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham was at once the, the first patriarch of the people of the Jews, but what was God's plan for Abraham? Whom was he going to bless in Abraham? Everybody. All families on earth. And so here's Matthew's first hint that he's going to broaden the scope here. Jesus, the Messiah, not only for the Jews, but also for those contemplated in that call to Abraham. Now, a few details that we'll look at. As I say, we're not going to go through all of these names. Uh, we are going to pick out a few names, and there are a few names that jump off the page. And, and perhaps not the ones that, that jumped immediately to you, but there are four names here, or three names and a description, that seem to be 
out of place in a Jewish genealogy. And these are women's names. Now, this is not completely unprecedented. There are examples of women showing up in genealogies in the Old Testament, but it is very uncommon, very uncommon. And so, when we see women's names jump out, uh, we should take note and ask, who are these women? And you find them in verses 3 to 6. In verse 3, it mentions Tamar. And then in verse 5, it mentions Rahab. Also in verse 5, it mentions Ruth. And then in verse 6, it mentions the wife of Uriah. It doesn't give her name, but her name was Bathsheba. So let's briefly see who these women were. Tamar. Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. Okay, Judah was one of the twelve tribes. So we have Abraham, Isaac, and then we have uh, Jacob, and then Jacob had twelve sons. And Judah was one of Jacob's sons. So this is four generations down from Abraham. Judah was one of these twelve tribes of Israel. Well, Tamar was his daughter-in-law, but he also fathered two sons with his daughter-in-law. And so Tamar shows up. She's mentioned here. And then the next woman who shows up is uh, Rahab. Now, the Rahab that's mentioned here, there's a little bit of a a chronology problem because it it, it seems not to fit quite in the chronology, the famous Rahab of the Old Testament. But when we see what what, uh, Matthew's doing, he he jumps over generations. He's summing up here. He's not giving an exhaustive list. And so it looks like this is the famous Rahab of the Old Testament. Well, who was she? Well, she was in the city of Jericho when the Jewish people were coming out of, the Israelite people were coming out of Egypt, and they were coming in to conquer the land. Well, the first city they needed to conquer was Jericho. And so they sent spies to spy out Jericho. Well, Rahab worked in Jericho, and she worked as a prostitute. And so she received these spies, she hid the spies, she sent them out another way, and she protected them and said, Uh, When you come to destroy this place, please have mercy on me. And they did. They spared her and her family. So that's Rahab. And then it mentions Ruth. Ruth was a widow. She was from the country of Moab. Uh, That was a neighboring country of Israel. And she traveled with her mother-in-law back to Israel from the land of Moab. And she married a man named Boaz. And she has a, a book in the Old Testament named after her that tells about her life and her story. And then the final woman is called the wife of Uriah. She was Bathsheba, and she was the one with whom David had a child, a son, who became the next king, and that was King Solomon. But the way that David got to be with uh, the wife of Uriah was terrible. He took her, uh, and he had a child who died, and then uh, he also tried to cover up his sin by having Uriah killed in battle, and so Matthew's not pulling any punches here by doesn't call her Bathsheba, but calls her the wife of Uriah, reminding everybody about what happened there. Now, why these four women? Some have suggested that the reason for the inclusion of these women is the the checkered past. What do we have in the past of these women? Uh, and not always their fault, by the way. Uh, some were victims, and others participated willingly. But we have. Incest, we have prostitution, we have adultery. And some have suggested that that's why these women are included in this genealogy of Jesus to show that Jesus' genealogy is just like ours. That Jesus' genealogy has its skeletons in the closet, that it has its checkered past, that it has its shameful deeds 
of the past, just like our personal histories and just like our family histories. And the idea is this, that Jesus came to identify himself not with people with pristine pasts, but rather with people who have pasts that are shameful. And that is certainly true, but I'm not convinced that that's why these women are here in this genealogy. I think there's something more obvious about these women in this genealogy that fits better with Matthew's purpose, and that's this. All of them were not Jewish. All of them were Gentiles. All of them were from other nations. Tamar and Rahab were Canaanites. Ruth was a Moabitess. And Bathsheba, we don't know her nationality, but she was married to a Hittite, so she may well have been a Hittite. Now, who are these people? Well, the Canaanites and the Hittites lived in the land, and the instructions of the the conquering Israelites was very clear. You eliminate them. You drive them out. And so the Canaanites and the Hittites were to be driven out of the land. And then the Moabites, they were relatives of the Israelites, but they became enemies of the Israelites, and they uh, didn't help the Israelites. On the contrary, they cursed the Israelites, and they hired somebody to curse the Israelites when they were coming up out of Egypt. So these were enemies of the, of the Israelites, and the Moabites specifically, specifically were excluded from the assembly of Israel. So we have, we have uh, Canaanites, we have Hittites, who were to be eliminated, and we have Moabites who were to be excluded uh, for ten generations from the assembly of God's people. In other words, in other words, they really were like us. Or rather, we are just like them. Those of us who are not Jewish uh, by birth, we are just like these women. And he put them in here, these women, to show that in Jesus' genealogy, there were those who should have been destroyed, and there were those who should have been excluded. And that says to us who should have been destroyed by all rights, should have been excluded by all rights, that there is a place for us as well. That Jesus came for people like us. And the New Testament, of course, makes this very, very clear. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. It's on page 1079 in the Bibles that are available to you. Paul, who was Jewish, reminds those of us who aren't, he reminds us that we were on the outside looking in. That we did not have a place at the table. That we were excluded. And that we had no hope whatsoever. He says, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That's the description of our ancestors and that's the description of us. Without God, without hope, separated, excluded. And Paul reminds us that that's how we were. And then he goes on to say this, but now, but now, In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself a new man in place of the two, thus making peace. And then verse 17, And He came and preached peace to you who were far off, 
and peace to those who were near. Who were the far-off ones? We were. We were the far-off ones. And who were those who were near? Those were the Jewish people. He preached peace to both those of us who were far off and those who were near. And he says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So that's, that's something Matthew is including in a subtle way in his genealogy. Uh, a hint of a good message, uh, good news for those of us who are uh, for generation after generation after generation on the outside looking in. And then the rest of the genealogy has a focus on the kingly line. And when you get up to verse 6, we find uh, Jesse was the father of David the king. And then after that, everyone after that is in the line of King David. And Matthew, he rounded the numbers off, but he neatly divided this. I, I think so we could have in our mind the, the history of Israel in three different sections. He says, from Abraham to David, 14 generations, from David to the deportation uh, to uh, Babylon, 14 generations, and from 14 generations to the Christ, or, or from the deportation to the Christ, 14 more generations. He rounded it off for us so we could remember these. But beginning with David, we find that the focus is on David's dynasty. And the, and the two hinge points of this genealogy are the ascent of David to the throne, about 1000 B.C., and then the end of David's dynasty, about 586 B.C., when the people, the, the people were taken into captivity to Babylon. So David is the, is the key here. And the end of David's dynasty in 586 presented a, a problem for the Jews. And the problem for the Jews was this. Back in 2 Samuel, when God called David to be king, and told him he was going to be king, he said, you will be king, and not only you, but you will have an eternal dynasty. You will never fail to have somebody reigning on the throne. So your dynasty is an eternal dynasty. But then 586 comes, the Babylonians come, they destroy Jerusalem, they knock down the temple, they take the people into exile, and they end the, not the Davidic line, the line of David, but they end the reign. So what's going on here? The promise was that someone of David's line would reign forever. And the dynasty seems to have ended in 586 B.C. So what is Matthew doing here? By emphasizing that Jesus is in David's line, what's he saying? He's saying, actually, the line continues. Uh, the, the, king, the, the kingdom continues, and someone who descends from David is reigning, and he will reign forever. However, it looks at first as if Matthew made a big mistake. In verse 16. Look at verse 16. It says, Jacob, the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So who's descended from David? It's Joseph who was descended from David. That's If you follow the line, it's Joseph who was descended from David. And then all of a sudden at the end he switches and says, Joseph was the husband of Mary, and Jesus was born of Mary. So it looks like he made a, a, a terrible gaffe here. Because he says, David, or rather, Joseph is descended from David. And then he says, but Jesus is descended not from Joseph and David. Jesus is descended from Mary. So what's going on here? Um, Why did he spend all this time to emphasize that Joseph was from David's line, 
But then in the end, he admits that Jesus is from Mary's line. Well, you're going to have to come back next week to find out the answer to that question, because that's in the next verses, verses 18 to 25. We're going to find out the answer to that question. But in the meantime, we've already gained much by this genealogy. What have we gained? What have we learned today? We've learned something essential. And the essential thing, the essential takeaway is this. Jesus came for people just like us. Jesus came for people who, by every right, should be on the outside looking in. And, you know, I haven't read all these genealogical records. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever get through all of them. It's quite a work that my, my mom did. But I'm quite sure that if I go through every branch of the family, every branch of the family, as far back as I can go, I will not find anything in there that I can use to commend myself to God. I'm sure I can't present this book to him and say, God, accept me because of my great-great-grandmother. Or accept me because I'm a distant cousin of so-and-so. I'm quite sure that I can't find anything in, in my family history in order to gain God's favor. And you know what else? I'm also quite sure that I can't find anything in my personal history to, to buy God's favor, to gain God's favor for myself. And that's just the point of Jesus' coming. That He came for people like Tamar, and He came for people like Rahab, and He came for people like David, and He came for people like Abraham, and He came for people like Ruth, and He came for people like Bathsheba, and He came even, as amazing as this is to me, He came even for people like me. And He came for people like you. That's the message of Christmas. Why did He come? He came for people just like us. Those who are on the outside looking in. And He says, Come, I've broken down the walls. Come, I've thrown open the door. Come, come to the Father through Me. Let's pray. My God, we thank You for Jesus, who is the Messiah of the Jews. And we thank You that He came for His own people. We also thank You that He came for people like the rest of us who were generation after generation excluded from You, kept aside. And we thank You that in this genealogy there is encouragement for people just like us that we might be welcomed in because He has broken down the barriers. And I pray that all of us would come to You through Jesus who is the door into Your presence who gives us access, Jews and Gentiles alike. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.